This is the one with the enigmatic Mr. Fix-It. A perfectly ordinary electronic dog. An accidental intradimensional matrix. And ugly, disgusting monsters that turn into space heroin. It's called Nightmare of Eden. Here we go! Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hour. Dalek Cyber Zoo and wow! Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? What ho, dearest podcast land, and welcome to another fantabulous episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Docpast. Correctamundo, that lovely voice belongs to a marvellous chap. Dearest podcast land, please put your hands together for the one, the only, it's Jim! It's Jim, whoa! (laughs) Thank you so much. Hi, it's me. (laughs) And I am Leon. And today we are discussing Nightmare of Eden. What yes, a are. serial. Oh, holy <laughs> moly. I watched this just the other night. Loved the crap out of it. Sorry, spoiler alert. Yeah, I think I loved the crap out of it. No, I don't know. I liked it, definitely. I think yeah? I really wanted to love the crap out of it. Oh, interesting. So something changed midway for you. Okay, so Podcast Land, here's what happened. When Jim was one episode into this serial, we were texting each other, yada, 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 and he said, Hmm, looks like this might be a good one. Something may have changed. I don't know. Right. Well, time will tell. How about we jump into a bite-sized chunk of who, and then we get into this. Let's. Time for us to synopsize, lerbify and summarize. So take a view, and grab a brief, and listen to this overview, this free-for-all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. The fourth Doctor, Romana 2, and K9, Mark 2, plop onto allegedly luxurious space cruiser Empress, just as it has coincidentally materialized in the same space as the more diminutive spaceship belonging to Dimond, a spaceman of questionable morals and origin. Equally adventitious is the sudden appearance of Vraxoin, the rarest and most dangerous recreational drug known in the universe, aboard the Empress, and the subsequent ODing of its co-pilot. The Kowinki things don't end there. Also aboard the ship are parody scientists Trist and his assistant Della, who are carrying with them a device not dissimilar to the miniscope in Carnival of Monsters. And all of a sudden, monsters are roaming the hallways, straight up beating the passengers to death and causing all sorts of mayhem. And to top it off, there's a chap lurking about inside the miniscope. And when the space customs and excise officers arrive, they definitely want to arrest someone. And they'd really like it if it were our protagonists. B-Scout over. You are welcome. Aren't you just? (laughs) (laughs) See, Jim, to me, that sounds like a spiffing cereal. It is a spiffing cereal. Good. (laughs) (laughs) So what's your beef, man? What's my beef? Yeah. I don't know. Just uh, maybe not quite legendary material. I don't know. Okay. All right. No, fair enough. I can tell you that I remembered having seen this as a child. When we started this, my very first note is, oh, I remember this one. There's a monster on board, isn't there? Boom. In your face, uh, approaching dementia. Clearly, this has been retained. But no other details remain, though. (laughs) 
<laughs> you didn't recognize the monster? As in, like, yeah, I mean, I recognize the monster itself, as in, uh, of having seen it. But that may also, to be honest with you, that may also just be me having seen memes of Doctor Who since then. But I didn't remember the rest. Like, I didn't remember the drug smuggling plot or anything like that. I guess maybe that's something that the, the kiddies don't remember too well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Focus on. So where would you like to start? I don't know if I have a particular place to start. Uh, maybe you can throw open a question, perhaps? Oh, sneaky. Very sneaky. Yeah. Well, as it happens, I, I have I a... peeked at your sheets. <laughs> I, also known as, we talked about it. Uh, <laughs> I know you have a couple of prepared questions. <laughs> I do indeed have a few introductory questions lined up. Okay, here are your options. Would you like something that is close to the beginning, or something that's in the middle, or something that is close to the end of this serial? Can I have something in the middle? Okay, all right. What was the sparkly thing that seemed to sting Romana, that came out of the, <laughs> I'm just going to call it miniscope, and stung Romana on the neck? Well, with much due thought and deliberation, I'm going to have to go with who the fuck knows? Yeah, this is, I feel, a B-plot that was totally abandoned. <laughs> <laughs> it really seemed like something was going to happen. She she gets stung by yet another sparkly visual effect and loses consciousness, comes to again, walks around, is just dehydrated, and that was it. Like, was that just a bug on Eden? Well, I'm guessing it, it was, which is totally plausible. They, sure. They basically, the way this device works, as far as I understood it, it's kind of like you um, you just cut a little bit of grass out of your lawn and you've you lifted it up and you, <laughs> you know, you've ever seen it when they, they've got like a roll of lawn with like the earth underneath it and it's oh, like, yeah. that's how they quickly lay out some new grass you know <laughs> It's like they've done they've done that, but they've done it three dimensionally with the entire three cubic meter area that they warp. Well, this and is, yeah, it, it grabs a little insect. Why not? Okay, yeah. No, I mean that is perfectly plausible. I really do want to say. I mean, this is in our B scow as well. But I really do want to say we have had this technology on Doctor Who and on Who Back When before. In the serial Carnival of Monsters, there is a device called a miniscope, which is all. I mean, no, it's not almost. It is exactly this. Like, it is straight up exactly this, except they use it as a carnival exhibit. So you have a box that contains multiple little worlds within it. Everything's just sort of minified and stored inside it. Cool. Yeah. It, they're not so, stored on crystals, but... Exactly like, this. Sorry? <laughs> exactly this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, with the exception that they're not stored on little crystals or diamonds or whatever they are. They're just literally decreased in size. They're like, uh, honey, I shrunk the kids. But uh, but still, I mean, it's it's very similar. Well, I guess, I mean, Doc and Romana are very aware of this technology. Like, they seem to be likening it to just kind of general manipulation of dimension stuff but it didn't sound quite like it's it's not like TARDIS tech it's not early TARDIS tech is it it's something slightly different still but it is accidentally like TARDIS tech there's a line of the doctors where he's talking about the the accidental intradimensional matrix that for some reason because what's his face professor sunglasses because he forgot to include a dimensional dampener or something like that you can actually walk around and there's it's bigger on the inside. This one little crystal is bigger on the inside. Because uh. he says something like, oh, I knew that we could jump into this uh, frame exactly as I knew that we could enter the TARDIS. Ah, I think I missed that line. Okay, so that, yeah, very, very strongly drawing comparisons, mm. which um, which I quite liked, actually. I like that there's this crude device that it's, it's basically working as intended. 
did it. I don't know. They're re- really worried that it's an unstable thing. Yeah. So I'm not. I'm not quite sure if it was meant. Was it meant to freeze things as well? Because like Trist is trying to do it to save. Well, save the monsters is what he claims. And you wouldn't do that if they were just going to be frozen. If, if if it's just a fancy picture. I think they're meant to just continue to evolve in there. Yeah. I think Which... Della says something to that effect as well. Like every now and then we just sneak a peek in there and we see what's happened. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. Which basically makes it yeah the same as. Uh, a shrink ray, a, a, the TARDIS tech storing things yeah. in, in the device, and the miniscope that you've described. Yeah, they're all, all one and the same, really. Yeah. You know what? I think you've just hit on something which uh, it kind of negates one of my other, <laughs> one of my bullet points, which was that it made me... There's one scene in particular when I want to say Romana jumps through the frame into the jungle, or possibly Romana and the Doctor jump through the frame into the jungle, and it made me think of the, um, is it the 50th anniversary uh, in New Who? When they oh, the have, pe- yes, exactly. Yeah. But I think you've hit upon something there because that was a frozen point in time, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, like, they couldn't change. Well, no, could they change stuff? I can't remember now, too. If they could change history through oh, their actions. Oh, yeah, you're right. There's something else there as well. There's like, it's almost like a portal through time. Yeah, yeah, that thing was a bit weird. But I don't know if they, the doctors changed that. I think that the original technology was it's, yeah, it's a, it's TARDIS paintings and yeah. they have a, another dimension to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bingo. I, I'm going to, I think that qualifies for a check mark. <laughs> <laughs> The thing this very much made me think think of, which I don't know if it did with the, the Gallifreyan pictures, actually, but this one, there's an episode of Red Dwarf called Time Slides, where some developing fluid mutates, and when they develop photos, you can basically project it and go into the photo and interact with oh, nice. objects and people and stuff. But yeah, it, it's contained in that frame, and it's not like you can change history, I don't think. But that's really cool. That's very, I mean, these are all kind of touching on each other, uh, technologically, yeah. semantically, metaphysically, existentially. Like Sorry. Coming <laughs> coming to classics so late, like realizing, okay, there are lots of things flying around in the, the science fiction genre at the time, which, you know, they're all little inspirations from each other. Like I keep mentioning how Star Wars has just existed and we're commenting on whether they've been influenced uh, by that in Doctor Who. Yeah. But likewise, things I've seen in latter years, it's like, oh, they were probably influenced by Doctor Who from a decade before. Yeah, which is lovely, isn't it? it? It makes the whole science fiction production industry just, and I mean this in the best possible way, highly incestuous. Okay. <laughs> It's it's a it's a lovely thing I think. I mean not in Okay, first off, not pro incest. Don't write in, okay? But <laughs> But it, I think it's a lovely thing that you get you get some overlap. It's almost like you know myths and legends, regardless of where they are, where they originate in the world. Myths and legends from different cultures they invariably have something in common, and and possibly the same idea can be transposed onto sci-fi. Yeah, rad. Hey, do you want another introductory question? I don't know. I was just gonna. Oh, go for it. 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 Just like maybe they're all actually just ripping off Pandora's box. I don't know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Also. Wait, yes, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I've never actually read the story around that. No, nor I. I've just glanced at my notes and I've seen the one I wrote about Romana getting hit by the insect thing. It's like, watch out, Romana, there's a wibbly wobbly thing. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if, like, in true Wachowski fashion, that's what that page of the script was. Just this one line. <laughs> <laughs> Right, can I offer you another question? Sure, go for it. You know the other spaceman? What's his face? I've already forgotten his name again. Uh, I want to say Drimmond. Drimmond. Dimmond. Dimmond. 
Was he supposed to be American? Was he? (laughs) (laughs) So I already know that two weeks from now, I'm going to be way too lazy to grab sound bites of his (laughs) pronunciation progression throughout four episodes. But I swear to frickin' Blarkon, in the beginning, he sounds a little bit like this. (laughs) And then towards the end, he's like, all right, chaps. I really... (laughs) Yeah, I think he starts off intended to be Americans. Really, really shit. In fact, you know what? Fuck it. Here's one soundbite from the beginning that proves that he does not sound completely English. Then you tell me not to worry. What am I going to do for a ship? You were, of course. See what I mean? Right? Convinced? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that soundbite. I have no idea. I don't remember his voice in the slightest. <laughs> I'm going to cut that line. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd, you know, he say it, actually. I could believe that he was made to be an American-ish character, but... What makes you say that? I, apologies, Americans, for, like, fueling the flames of stereotype, but, you know, just... <laughs> he's quite outspoken and thinks he's right, and even when he's wrong, and... Yeah. The and same can be said about the clearly English Azurian um, customs officers, though. True. Sorry, I interrupted you there. Yeah, I don't know. It was yeah, just a slight vibe about him. I hadn't really got, like uh, realized it at the time. I hadn't. I hadn't considered, other than Tris, to be honest, that anyone was trying to be a particular nationality. Okay. And I'm not quite <laughs> sure which nationality he was trying to be. <laughs> I was going to ask you. Can, <laughs> do you want to throw a few nationalities into the house? Like, uh, what, what do you think? Uh, definitely at points I thought attempted German um, whatever makes you say that (laughs) (laughs) but also some kind of Scandinavian came across from time to time yes it's true every now and then he did sound a little bit Scandi (laughs) (laughs) and I I mean I would have been led to believe that he was uh, part Russian as well I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I am Dr. Drist I am a scientist from uh, (laughs) St. Petersburg future (laughs) space space whatever St. Petersburg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy, I loved him. Can we take a moment to talk about Trist? He was fantastic. <laughs> he was the shittest actor, and I loved every single moment that that man was on screen. <laughs> I feel like there were bits of dialogue throughout this serial that were intentionally shit, <laughs> just so there could be just awkward moments between the cast, and most of it revolving around Trist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have stuff written down, but it was just like someone would just like finish a scene with just like a, a line that may as well have just had a signature uh, piece of music afterwards just going. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I think my favorite scene closer with Trist is the one where uh, Tom Baker's doctor keeps telling him throughout the scene, you need to turn off your miniscope. I can't remember what he called it. But like You have to turn off your miniscope. It's vitally important. Don't forget to turn off your miniscope. Scene continues. Scene ends. As Tom Baker is leaving the room, he shouts at him, don't forget to turn off the miniscope. We pan over to Trist, and it's just like, click, it's turned off. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, what, all that just for flicking one switch? <laughs> Surely, just like... Just do it. <laughs> Wait in the room. <laughs> Pull the plug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Trist was a character. Why is he constantly wearing sunglasses? They weren't quite sunglasses. They're, they're like the auto-adjusting ones or something. They were sort of yellowy, weren't they? They weren't... Oh, right. Okay, sorry. They weren't like black, were they? No, but they were slightly tinted. Yeah, they're definitely tinted. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he had a light sensitivity issue. Perfectly plausible. You Given heard it way... here first. Trist was a vampire. <laughs> 
given the way a lot of the dialogue was delivered, I could imagine the actor who I'm going to quickly see if I can find the name. Yeah, Louis Fiander. Oh, he's Gander? Australian. Fiander. Fiander. What a name! Oh my goodness, that man should creep the boards. What? A, that that is an actor's name. <laughs> actor. <laughs> Uh, what point was I making? <laughs> uh, vampire. Yeah, given away that actor, Louis Fiander. Fiander. It's probably not even how you say it, is it? <laughs> um, how he approached this character. I won't be surprised if he was just in a meeting at one point saying, no, and uh, I think he always needs to wear sunglasses. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone just, oh, fine, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I also wonder if maybe he showed up at the reading. He's meant to just be straight up English, like a, a BBC guy. And he goes, right, so I've been workshopping this accent. I hope you don't mind if I just persist. And like, We'd really rather you didn't, Mr. Fiander. No, no, no. Oh, wait, sorry. He's Australian. Right. So I've been, I can't do Australian accent. I've been, <laughs> I'm really sorry, Aussies. Uh, I've been workshopping this accent. Oh, fucking hell. Uh, you know what I'm trying to say, right? And then he just goes flat out German. <laughs> Occasionally veering into Norwegian territory. <laughs> okay, here's another one of my favorite Trist moments. Oh, my, oh, my oh God. go, 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 go. I've just been on his Wikipedia page. <laughs> his actual acting career isn't super interesting as far as, as far as I can see. Like There might be interest for, for people that I'm not seeing. But there, I'm just going to read this as it's written. Okay. During the 1970s, he was cast as Professor Trist in the Doctor Who episode Nightmare of Eden. And after discussion with his friend, Tom Baker, chose to give the character a hybrid accent as would befit an alien in the future. He bloody did do it. <laughs> That's incredibly brilliant. That is just the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> This evening, anyway. <laughs> I, I bet you the rest of the production team was just like, oh, damn you, Tom, did you have to give him this idea? <laughs> right. If that happened, he was definitely the instigator of the sunglasses as well. I, I'm Oh, deciding. 100%. <laughs> I was going to say, Trist is also a really rude piece of shit. There's one moment where he's chatting with Romana, and he's like, oh, so where's the doctor? Oh, the doctor's somewhere else, blah, 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 who cares? And he's like, oh, it's it's nice to finally, after all these years, to talk to someone with an intellect. And oh, yeah. Della is standing I, right, right there that, next uh, to him. <laughs> she should have just walked straight up to him and kicked him in the balls. Like, <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, Trist. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> She gets uh, one of my first thumbs up, my second thumb, thumb up actually in my notes. Oh, yeah? Because she's a female scientist and she has lines. <laughs> she actually talks. That is 100% true. Yeah. She may, may only be one of two females in this cast. but Don't forget the little old lady who gets uh, mauled by a mandrel. Oh, yeah. I had forgotten her. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's that's something I wanted to talk about a, okay. a bit because I I really like the setup of this with like the cruise liner and there were passengers on board and I don't know something about that just made me feel more in New Who territory than the classics. Yeah, there's, there's kind of this more kind of streamlined scenario, but there's a I, I was thinking oh there's going to be you know loads of incidental damage. There's going to be extra cast members and stuff. And then I don't know when we get back to the the passengers. I think it might be like episode three or something. But when we did go and they're being attacked by monsters i was genuinely like oh yeah this is a massive cruise liner i'd forgotten we have these passengers on board yeah exactly in fact this is one of my introductory questions for you what are the passengers doing in just those two rooms this is yeah. a cruise ship 
If you compare this to New Who, where you have Voyage of the Damned, the Kylie Minogue episode, you know, the Christmas one, yeah. it, that's a cruise liner. They're like, I buy it. That's the space Titanic, and there are people all over the place. They're having dinner. They're dancing, whatever. Like, it's a cruise liner. But here, we see it from the outside. It's a gigantic, beautiful spaceship. But they're all just sitting inside, clearly the same room filmed twice. But they're they're just sitting inside these two rooms in rows, much like on an airplane. Yeah, it is an airplane. I was wrong, by the way. I think it's actually episode two. So it's not a massive gap, but it felt like a massive gap. But yeah, it's weird that they are stuck in like an airplane seating area. And then to throw more into the mix, later on when the customs officials have arrived, suddenly there are loads more crew members who they enlist to the guns for hire. Is that what they were? I didn't know if they were crew members or if they were members of the uh, the customs office. I'm pretty sure because I think with the first time we see one is the captain. That's probably, or probably not the captain because he's spaced up to his eyeballs at that point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that we have to talk about that as well. The effects oh, of the- <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> Vraxoan or whatever it's called. Drugs yeah. Bad, hey, get that get that out there. Don't do drugs, kid. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Don't do drugs. I mean unless you feel like it. Let's put a pin in it. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought we saw a crew member being used separately and it felt like it was a crew member and then we get a scene with the customs official guy. I think he's called Frisk, kind of ordering a group of them about. Okay, I, yeah. I, oh yeah. Towards the end of the whole passenger, sorry if I'm switching gears a little bit, but towards the end of the whole, we have passengers stuck in these two rooms, and they're clearly complaining about being in those two rooms. But towards the end of that, we have some of them just leaving, going into the corridor, and like immediately being attacked by mandrels. Yeah. Do you think that they have cabins aboard this ship? Do they have... Like, uh, well, actually, here's another question for you. Are there more passengers aboard the ship than just in those two rooms? I don't know. It seems fair game that there, there could have been. But I don't know, it's, it, it, it generally felt like this might be a serial trying to break out of the, the one village on a planet sci-fi trope. Yeah. But then kind of forgot about it. <laughs> or someone didn't realize how the models were going to be made and the sets were going to be made. Like, Oh, that's way more, isn't it? Dimon, Dimon's spaceship, we don't, we don't see it properly, but from the out side it's huge compared to the cruise liner like it's still a big ship he has a capsule inside it yeah which is big enough for the doc to sit behind him and him not and Dimon not realize i, I love that scene by the way he falls asleep in the back seat and no one notices it's the best thing <laughs> But yeah, you're um, right. We also get that scene of the loading bay aboard Dimon's ship. The doors opening and it flying out. And just the loading bay in and of itself is enormous. Yeah. Like that ship is probably bigger than what you would... Like if you saw those passengers lined up in the seats, you would picture a spaceship the size of an aeroplane. Yeah, exactly. And his ship is bigger than that. And that cruise liner is what? 50 times bigger than his ship? I the, don't know. The cruise liner looks like it's the size of the space Titanic in Voyage of the Damned. Yeah. But so, an airplane could easily easily fit inside the hangar where we see the doors opening aboard Dimon's ship. So, yeah, you're right. Head of nail, meet Jim. The... <laughs> <laughs> I reckon the script was written without knowing exactly how, like, probably with a certain idea of how big everything is going to be, and probably picturing kind of an airline, like an, uh, an airplane. And then later on, they made these beautiful miniatures, and they did not tally with the script. I would also like to add, the scene with the hangar bay, with the loading dock, that's in part four. Podcast land, go to seven minutes and 40 seconds into part four. That's where that scene happens, because... <laughs> 
It looks exactly, and I wrote this in my notes, and it's in all caps, it looks exactly like corresponding scene in Star Trek Swingshift. In fact, screw <laughs> everyone, I'm going to put comparison shots on whobackone.com and a link to the trailer. That scene is in the trailer for Star Trek Swingshift. See for yourselves! <laughs> <laughs> Did yeah, you... but my notes around that little um, capsule thing were... I loved the effect of the capsule launching from his, his ship, the, the hangar bay. Yeah. Um, like still, We're still in kind of late 70s primitive technology, but I like that. But yeah, it really bugged me that he just sits in a tiny capsule and the dock's just behind him and he never <laughs> knows. Asleep behind him. Well, like, I'm, I'm assuming... <laughs> wait, they never address it. Oh, sorry. I took it as... Because he, he's looking at uh, Dylan plugging in his... Yes, exactly, exactly. So is he... I think he's sl- yeah, I think he's like slowing down his metabolism in order to survive the journey across. Because presumably there is zero oxygen inside the capsule. <laughs> Apparently not, Like, yeah. maybe it's not sealed. Like, maybe that's why Dimmond needs to plug in. But the Doctor survives it. I-, I love that they don't address it. I love that there's an element of that scene that's just left to the audience, to us, to just understand within the context of sci-fi in general. It's like, yeah, obviously he now has to regulate his metabolism in order to survive this journey. Yeah, I didn't mind that at all. Uh, I would have liked if he had just tried to hide a bit better. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe they, they concentrated too much on trying to show that he was dealing with the situation of lack of air um, rather than, oh, here's a handy blanket for me to throw over my head. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You, you, they could have just written a bloody blanket into that scene. But I bet you that the script itself, the, that scene in the script called for a much bigger spaceship where he's like he's hiding behind a box or something and he looks ahead at the cockpit and he sees Dimond going, oh, plug, got to plug in or I won't be able to breathe. And then he does his thing. Because that that's, yeah, I mean, that's like, He's vord hiding right behind Dimond. It is ridiculous, <laughs> and I love it. It's quite a weird thing, though, that they introduced this capsule. Like, why doesn't Dimond just fly his ship back? Yeah, g- good question. That's a, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I guess in terms of the plot, it works quite well because he wouldn't have wanted his ship anywhere near the customs and excise people. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it's weird. There, there are lots of weird things in in this serial that I feel like uh, dangle around a bit as either loose threads or just. Huh. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I like, agree. Like, we, like where the where the crew come from and go, where the, the passengers, what the hell the passengers are doing. I when... love that the passengers are all wearing matching rain max and sunglasses. By the way, the, uh, what what I refer to as space Elvis outfits. <laughs> <laughs> space Elvis. They're wearing ponchos with hoodies and sunglasses, all of them matching for no reason whatsoever. Surely you can wear whatever you want if you're on a cruise ship. <laughs> they're not spacesuits. Like, there's no reason for them to wear it they all look like they're you know they're on the rented bus that's going to take them to the cult mass suicide it's the best <laughs> ever i don't understand why they're wearing that but i am not going to question it <laughs> I, I didn't question it at all it's so stupid <laughs> <laughs> Why are they all dressed like that? (laughs) (laughs) So do you want to talk uh, drugs? Sure, what you got? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so here we go. (laughs) The the rarest drug in the universe, and also uh, at the same time, possibly the most hazardous drug, is Vraxoin, also known as XYP or Vrax. Vrax, man. (laughs) Vrax. (laughs) 
It is a crazy bananas drug that has destroyed whole civilizations. It is a drug that when you take it, you become very laid back. Like, you, you take it, you, go, you get super duper laid back, you get apathetic, and then you die. <laughs> yeah. Right, here are a few questions for you. How the shit did this drug kill entire planets? I have multiple questions about the drugs, by the way. This is just one to warm you up. I think I missed the fact that it, like, wiped out planets. I knew there was dialogue about it killing millions of, quote, people. I don't know. I think the implication is this is spanning races. This isn't just humans. Oh, yeah. No, this is all over the shop. Maybe I misremembered this then, but I have a feeling that the, that the doctor says something like, I saw, a ho- not planets, plural, but a planet entirely destroyed by this. Oh, right. But that yeah, might just I, be my mistake as well. I don't know. There's... Because we don't have a lot of kind of first-hand knowledge to really gauge it with. We all, we all we get is the second pilot crew member guy. What the hell is he called? I don't know. Guy who dies very quickly. Yeah, Shifty. Shifty Maybe? McGee. Seca? What was it? Possibly Seca. Seca? Yeah, I don't know. What a dude. <laughs> That's that, someone... That guy. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> But there's an there's an element of addiction, think, into that. Yeah, that's true. With the captain, certainly, who immediately wants another fix. Oh no, you're right. Yeah, we probably see it more with the captain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they they're establishing that it is addictive. Yeah, obviously. but there's also a line of the doctors where he goes, uh, "Oh yeah, so we found this drug in Secker's system, so he's clearly not going to live. Like he is absolutely going to die." And the captain, oh, what's yeah. his name, Riggs or Biggs or Briggs or whatever his name is, he just goes. Riggs. He's just like, oh, shit. Uh, like, what a shame. He's going to die. So that means you take this drug, you, you're kind of happy-go-lucky, <laughs> not a care in the world, and then you're out, like, just deadsville. This is a euthanasia drug. This is not, like, th- this is fast-acting heroin. This is not, like, you take some of this, then you spend a good two years just falling asleep outside of grocery stores and then presumably you die. Uh, like You lose your hair and your teeth and your skin gets really shit, but the, then you die eventually. This is a, you take a thing, you smile, <laughs> you don't care, you die. Yeah, that's very true. I, had, I hadn't really picked up on all of that in the, um, in the serial. Again, I may be reading too much into it. But okay, all right, here's drug question number two for you, Jim Jams. <laughs> Riddle me <laughs> this if you can. That's your new nickname, by the way. <laughs> all right. Vraxoan is described as a fungus that has these properties. It's a drug, but it is a, I mean, it's a drug, but it is inherently a fungus. So it's a naturally occurring thing. Was it pure coincidence that if you electrocute a mandrel, that mandrel will then arc of the covenant into a pile of cocaine? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't get this in the slightest because I'd missed that there's a reference to mushrooms. I, I took this as this is how you get this drug. It's these creatures, which exactly. then just make didn't make any sense because Trist, while he is ultimately the not the ringleader, but you know one of the main people behind this this drug run, yeah. Um, He's like still... the teacher in Breaking Bad, and uh, what's his face, Yankee Doodle. He is the the young. I, I've forgotten the names of the characters in Breaking Bad, but he's the delinquent. Yeah, I'm buying that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I cut I, you off I there. Ever, only ever saw the first series of it, but yeah. That, oh, that it's would, so that good. Would... Please watch it. <laughs> um, watch that. But wait, uh, first watch Swordfish, then watch Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> 
tonight's homework. Okay, <laughs> write that down. Yeah, Trist. I think even though like he's been running drugs and hiding a lot of stuff, I feel like when he's cornered, he's still he's being honest. Like I think he's he's probably someone who's never. I'd, I'd, I'd be interested if the dialogue actually has him outright lying about being a drug runner, or whether the questions are always vague enough that he answers in a suitably vague way that he hasn't actually lied about it. Do you mean because he's doing this to finance his scientific research? Yeah, I think he he obviously feels guilt about it. He doesn't see this as he's a drug runner. He just sees it as a means to an end sort of thing. Um, and I, I think... I don't know, I got the impression through most of his dialogue, the intention is that he is being truthful. Ergo, when he's talking about wanting to save the creatures, like his motivation in that, I believe him. I believe that he really wanted to save the mandrels. I don't think so. You don't think so? Okay. I, I don't think so, because when a mandrel enters the control room and uh, Yankee Doodle and Professor Sunglasses, <laughs> they, uh, they start attacking one of the mandrels. They attack the mandrel that's entered the room, and when not a Yankee anymore shoots the mandrel, Mandrel, Professor Sunglasses goes, don't kill it. It's valuable. It's worth a lot of money. What did he say? Valuable? Ah, see, at that point, I think I was obviously mishearing it because I, I thought it, it was like, don't kill it. It's it's like a, it's a living oh, creature. Oh, oh, interesting. Oh, you, you know what? We could, I mean, either one of us could be right here. I don't know. Uh, Podcast Land, what do you think? Let us know. Because <laughs> uh, there was definitely a reluctance on Triss' part to shoot the Mandrel. Like, he, he does the killing shot, but it's after uh, Dimon's gun has failed or something, or they yeah. need they need another shot on it because the mandrels are quite tough. And yeah, it seemed like there was a reluctance there, but maybe it is just because no, this thing is like pure cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I took it. He's like, no, you are literally shooting a bag of powder right now. <laughs> like, that is not okay, dude. Do you know the street value of a mandrel? <laughs> All we have to do is Ark of the Covenant it, and then like we have a nice sellotaped together parcel of white powder. <laughs> What I find really strange about this is that it's one thing if you have a fungus that has narcotic properties and then you try to emulate that chemically. Like you create a new drug that has similar properties or the ingestion of which has similar symptoms. But that doesn't mean that you recreate it. Electrocuting an animal doesn't turn it into a fungus. Like it doesn't... That's alchemy that's being described there. That's not... like Even the doctor takes like... He wets his pinky, dips it in a dead mandrel and like rubs it in his gums and is like, mm, that's some sweet Braxo and like... <laughs> That's not how that shit works. No. Yeah, I, I didn't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> if that's your driving theme, is like there is this literal killer drug and the big reveal is these are the people that are supplying it, then yeah, explain it a bit better where the fuck it comes from. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> 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 um, I looked up a dialogue, by the way, and you are very much 100% right that mm. Trist says he's valuable, which... Yep, Bingo. I, I obviously wanted to like Trist too much, um, but he's a flat-out arsehole. <laughs> yeah. All about the drugs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's... Seriously, what is it? Heisenberg. Uh, Professor Heisenberg. Wh whatever the guy's called in Breaking Bad. Yeah. Watch it. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Random, total random, very short thing uh -huh. of stuff that I thought might be more involved in the plot, given the amount of screen time they had at the start. Yeah. Uh, Doc and Romana give a fake identity when they first turn up, as quite often happens in Doctor Who. Yes, that's right. Possibly, possibly more so in New Who. I don't know if it happens that often in classic, but they pretend to be from Galactic Salvage and Insurance. Yes. And. <laughs> 
Big <laughs> goes and looks this up. There's a oh, I love this very drawn out scene of of getting computer readout of like who the who, what this company is and it's like existed between 2068 and 2096. Um, I actually have no idea when this is set, but I got the implication <laughs> that yeah, obviously if you've got an end date, this company doesn't exist anymore. I think he says um, like oh they w- they went bust 30 years ago or something like that. But then that's it. Like there wasn't. I don't even I really know. remember. No, a moment where Rick is like, well, I don't trust you because of this. Like, I don't even remember it coming up again. No, he just flat out doesn't give a shit anymore. But <laughs> on top of that, I've, I've got that down in my notes as one of two, not one, but two incidences of um, Microsoft Office. And not just Microsoft Office. I mean, I, I guess this is sort of like Space Encarta or Space Wikipedia. <laughs> but that's all you get. So if you look up Galactic Salvage and Insurance, which, by the way, those are pretty vague search terms but if you look that up you don't get a tax number you like the only information that you get is when and where it was founded and when it was liquidated that's it it's like founded in london 2100s uh, liquidated 2160 or whatever it was done <laughs> no more information available and it's you know just what? galactic salvages insurance there's no limited or incorporated at the end of it it doesn't have a company number it's not a registered company like this is the shittest Encarta ever. Where is the logo? See, I, I've, I've come up with a theory uh, in these last two seconds, and it's that there, there is a galactic ruler at present who is anti-history. <laughs> and <it's> so... <laughs> You're not allowed to know anything about the time before this galactic ruler came came to reign. Uh, so you, you just know, yes, this thing existed. I am not going to claim it didn't exist, but that's all you get to know. <laughs> and it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and no one else was called Galactic Insurance and whatever it was. <laughs> I think if Never. if the BBC is listening to us right now, and I wholeheartedly assume that they are, then <laughs> <laughs> please take heed for the remastered edition. Just finagle a quick line onto that thing, onto that readout that just says, uh, this message approved by the Galactic Ruler. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> or just like straight up put a ruler on the desk next to the computer and write Galactic on it. The, the other incident of... <laughs> The other incident of um, a readout, which I just found absolutely lovely, is in part four. It's when, um, what's his face, Yankee Doodle, is doing a computer readout for his profit margins. And it's so good. It's just like Azurius Project Investment. Project Eden. (laughs) Oh, Project Eden. (laughs) This is my uh, take home. These are my overheads. (laughs) It's just really lovely, and it's got the same font and everything as the first readout. So what this tells me is that you know, like even in outer space before there was Excel, drug dealers really had to rely on MS DOS for all of their accounting, and it was a more difficult time. <laughs> yeah, but the fact that he's got it written out, like there's all, it doesn't say anything about a bank account. It doesn't. It doesn't say anything of value. It's the best. <laughs> I like that. No kind of hint of a breakdown. As well. <laughs> not at all. It's not like it's tap on like... tap on it, <laughs> on outgoings for more detail. There's nothing yeah. like. <laughs> I I kind of like that. It they, they, there is that somewhere, but this is this is the real kind of egotistical screen. It's just like yes, exactly. Every, every now and again, <laughs> you just like you press a button and and these numbers come out. It's like how much money you want to make? Mmm, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about the details. I just want to see how much. Yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> For whose benefit is that? Like, 
<laughs> is there any calculation behind those numbers, or has he just actually input them? <laughs> just like, scan my napkin. There we go. That's, that's my. That's my <laughs> Scan my napkin. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I th- I think this cereal just went up point one on my rating. <laughs> I I actually really meant to rewatch the start of this because I my first note is just like I am a spaceship flying in space with my own song because like the opening scene is such a weird musical like track behind it. It's just like. This is this is the cruise liner song. That's really true. Yeah, that's a very good point. I also thought about this not just for the exterior space shots, but also interior chase scenes had a very different soundtrack. Yes, I think I did notice that. Definitely, I think middle to end, perhaps I, I picked up on it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. Basically. I wonder if maybe direction had an effect on all this. There's a there's a bit of trivia. I don't know if you did. You look at the trivia. I've got a. I have seen a couple of interesting trivia's that might be related to this. So, but do tell, do tell. Rather than uh, paraphrase this, I may just read out a. This is a long paragraph, but I may just read out this paragraph because it sounds. It sounds wonderful. All right, here we go. This is from Todd's Wikia. According to accounts by visual effects designer Colin Mapson and assistant floor manager Val McCrimmon, director Alan Bromley simply didn't understand how to direct the program efficiently and wasn't interested in learning. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> Consequently, he was removed from the project by the producer Graham Williams in the midst of principal photography. Williams himself finished the project and was deemed an emergency director. So a, one of the producers has to step in for the director. I'll skip to the end and says, um, Mapson, longtime veteran of the program, flatly called it, quote, without doubt, the most disastrous Doctor Who I've ever been involved in. <laughs> and <laughs> when production finally wrapped, crew members were presented with T-shirts that said, quote, I'm relieved the nightmare is over. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, those t-shirts must go for a bomb on eBay. (laughs) My goodness, I really want one of those. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's super, super interesting about that trivia is that this must be a case of he said, he said, because Wikipedia... (laughs) Oh, here we go. All right. Yeah, Wikipedia says that Alan Bromley is credited with directing it, but he quit partway through filming as a result of a vehement dispute with Tom Baker. Oh, and as a result interesting. Of that Graham Williams, the producer, had to step in, and apparently the unpleasantness of the whole incident, which could well just be the unpleasantness of recording this serial in general, yeah, led to Williams leaving the series, and Bromley himself, the director, never directed again for Doctor Who, and in fact, basically retired. After this. Oh, oh wow. It's like the serial that just killed careers. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Scottish play of Doctor Who episodes. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's super interesting. I wonder who's right. So the, the bit from TARDIS Wikia is uh, allegedly taken from a, not allegedly, it's taken from a documentary called The Nightmare of TV Center. <laughs> I want to find this documentary. Very curious. Yeah, so maybe we shouldn't cast aspersions. Maybe we don't know who did what to whom. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> clearly, this was this was a production fraught with problems. But despite yeah. that, the outcome is brilliant. This serial has so much of like it. It, it has so much of what I just love about this show. <laughs> 
it's really, it's wonderful. And you can't tell that anyone is having a bad time. Like, Tom Baker seems to be relishing every moment on screen. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. But I think, um, I mean, this has probably come up quite frequently. I'm more of a sucker for the space stuff than the, the historicals or a lot, yeah, lot of times, even, even the fancy things, like uh, the fancy things. I much prefer space things. So uh, this is a, a space thing with some genuine interesting tech. Like, I haven't seen the miniscope stuff before, so this is just... Oh, watch it. Cool. It's good fun. Kind of new to me. And I think they seem to do quite a good job with the sets. There's a lot of different sets. Like, what my actual first thumbs up is, like, the yellow-style interior of the cruise liner is, you know, it's not particularly adventurous, but it's a bit different, and I thought that was really nice. And so loads of control rooms. We've got, we've basically got two spaceships, like, some control rooms, some corridors, which we obviously reuse. Um, sure, we've got, yeah. like, passenger seating bit. We've got a mini jungle. You know, there's loads of things to, like, in, engulf your eyes with. Oh, absolutely. They uh, were just vomiting money on this production. Yeah. I and mean, it's, it's kind of understandable that it had problems because, yeah, it seems quite ambitious in a lot of respects. Yeah, true. Very true. The, the one thing, actually, since you mentioned sets, the one piece of set dressing that I, <laughs> I thought maybe took me out of it a little bit was in part three. One of my notes is, giant alarm button. Wonder if that's going to get pressed. Oh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> The special effects are really quite wonderful at times. I mean, not just like the, the shimmering segments between spaceships is lovely. The, the, the miniatures themselves are beautiful. I mean, there's a panning shot of the two ships, I think possibly as they are separating. It's just absolutely gorgeous. But then some of the special effects in the very beginning, they seem like they're an interesting combo of just like excellent special effects and dreadful special effects. <laughs> There's a bit where the, when the spaceship is, when the cruise liner is sort of dematerializing, and by the way, they never really get into, so this is a cruise liner, but it dematerializes, like, does, isn't the whole point of a cruise liner that you, you enjoy the journey, it's not just a get somewhere, dematerialize, rematerialize elsewhere, it's, the, the point of the cruise is the journey itself. But that particular effect, I thought, was very poorly done. It, granted, this is 1979, and I get it. I, whatever, resources, and I'm not going to, uh, you know, criticize the episode for it, but I thought that was one thing that kind of stood out as, oh, that's a little poor. The, the, the materialization effect. Yeah, the dematerialization and the rematerialization effect. Yeah, I think, because um, they really use that kind of wibbly-wobbly feeling for the whole, because everything's unstable throughout most of the, the serial. And yeah. Lots of points where that comes up. But I, I think I kind of settled into it as like, okay, yeah, this is the effect you're showing for I don't know, different dimensional tears or whatever. I thought it was very nicely done for people, but it was poorly done for spaceships. Yeah, and I, I was super confused actually at what had happened to these, these spaceships at the start because they show one just like come to a dead stop in front of the other one and then this weird shimmering wibbly-wobbly effect happens and it was just like, um, what, what's happening now? Okay, 30 seconds later, okay, they're still doing this thing? Okay, no, no, I have no idea. Like, is this a crash? And then it, yeah, it takes like a minute for someone to explain it in dialogue and it's like well you've just wasted that effect then because it meant nothing <laughs> <laughs> wait 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 wait. let's dissect the technology behind this for a moment we have two spaceships that both travel in different dimensions to our own because at the end they they dislodge but they are both intact it's not like they crash into each other they both coexist in the same space yeah so how the shit does that work do we have interdimensional travel now all of a sudden i mean yeah yeah. <laughs> I think. <laughs> All right, well, I, I stand corrected. Must, yeah, it must be what it is. But I, I totally agree with you. Like, why is it a cruise liner that has this? 
Like, literally, if they just did it the other way around, because... Yes, like, you're Dimmon, right. Dimon is out of place. Like, he's not meant to be where he is. He claims he's got dispensation to be there, but obviously he's there to smuggle drugs. Yeah. Um, but it would have made more sense. I guess it's harder for him to have the the higher ground, because he's he's obviously angry that a big cruise liner has crashed into him. But, it, yeah, it's it's weird to have it that way around. That Just don't call it a cruise liner. Call it a, a really transport cheap or something. transport vessel or something. Yeah. yeah. And that explains the passengers crammed into this, these tiny little rooms and they're not allowed to eat their seat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In steerage. <laughs> exactly. I don't know if there is factual information behind this, but this felt to me it's the first time we had seen the Sonic used for a while. Y- yes, well done. I-, I totally would have just glazed over this. Yes, please, take it away. Sonic it up. Well, I forget what we... <laughs> what we like and dislike about the Sonic using in Classic, but this seemed like a legitimate use at the start anyway. It gets used a couple of times, I think. But the first time, the doc used it to open some kind of locked cabinet box thing where yeah. drugged out pilot guy, whose name I've forgotten again, has his stash of drugs and possibly something else. I don't know. There might have been a, another plot thing going on there, but yeah, he doc uses the Sonic to get into something that's locked, um, which seems screwdrivery. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I think he uses it to turn... Wait. Wait. Oh, wait. Does he use it to turn off the cinemascope thingy, the miniscope? Oh, does he? Uh, Ma- oh, maybe not. Uh, no, you know what? I forget I said anything. I think I'm probably wrong. But you're right. We get more Sonic in this one than we've had in like every Tom Baker serial to date. Yeah, probably true. <laughs> yeah, I think you might be right about the miniscope, actually. I think there's definitely, isn't there a point where he's he's fiddling with its range? Yes, that's it. Then at the end, is that is that where he uses the Sonic? I think you're right. I think it's like he's he doesn't say it outright necessarily, but he sort of in effect reverses the polarity. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you know whom we haven't talked about at all? Stott. Stott. Yes, English David Hasselhoff. Right, okay. Stott. Does Stott appear in episode one and shoot the Doctor? Oh yeah, he does. He straight up stuns the doctor. Yeah, I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, what a what a dick. <laughs> dick move, Hasselhoff. Like you were saying with um, the weird insect that knocks Romana out. Like this also is meaningless for all intents and purposes. Like we have start thinking the doctor is the, the drug smuggler so yeah that explains why he would shoot the doctor but then he just leaves doc lying in a corridor yeah it's like he stuns doc buggers off doc gets up again nothing comes of it no one no one even sees that there was someone on the ship who shouldn't be on the ship doc doesn't see who stuns him it's just a weird thing for the viewers to be left with that doesn't really impact anything or come around again properly it's just yeah what the fuck yeah it's also i mean he's conducting an investigation from inside his little base on Eden. But, I mean, what can he do from in there? He can't do anything from in there. So when he gets out of Eden, why not immediately stay out of Eden? (laughs) Why ever go back? Why hide around? Why shoot the doc but not arrest him? Why not question the doc? Yeah, exactly. And he says that he grabs the identity kit outfit that all the passengers have got so he can mingle amongst them. But then... Yeah, but so do that. Yeah. Yeah. What are you on about, Hoff? Like, just <laughs> hang about, man. It, also, he was shot by um, Professor Sunglasses. Ar- 
arrest him. This is like Inspector 101. The dude who shot you <laughs> is the bad dude. Wait, I think I missed this. Tris, Tris straight up shot him? Yeah. So, you know, there's a... What's her name? Della. Yeah. There's the scene where Della talks to Romana and she's like, oh, yeah, we lost a crew member. His name was Stott. And Romana's like, oh, oh, you were friends. And she's like, oh, no, we were more than that. Like, he used to finger me behind the bleachers. And then she, she goes, yeah. And then he was straight up murdered by one of those monsters. He got he got killed by a mandrel, according to what's his face, Professor Sunglasses. And then later on, she t- changes that from oh he got murdered by a mandrel. I mean he has the scars on his face, right? So he was actually attacked yeah. by a mandrel. But then she changes her tune and talks when she talks to Professor Sunglasses. She's like, "You're the one who shot Stott, aren't you?" And he's like, "I had to." So. He lasered Stott, but Stott somehow survived. So Stott then spends aeons inside a fucking crystal going, hmm, so I was shot by this dude who wears sunglasses indoors, but I wonder who the bad guy is. (laughs) (laughs) And this guy can't even settle on an accent. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So what is he doing inside? What what is he doing on Eden? I don't know. Taking some readings. (laughs) So my assumption was that he wasn't able to escape until possibly after the two ships were combined. When those two ships happened to coincide in this or coexist in the same space, that's when he was he realized, oh shit, I can actually escape from Eden. But that then sounds like that's a temporary thing. So leave ASAP. Yeah, it's like we've already established enough reasons not to go back into the Eden capsule. Yeah. Um, but that, in my mind, is number one. It's like you have been trapped here. <laughs> You don't know if you're going to get trapped again. Don't fucking go back in it. (laughs) Also, this dude is, I mean, all right. He is handsome as balls. He is just crazy, well put together, well shaved, perfectly quaffed. Uh, his clothes are clean. He's he's like living his best life. Uh, Barry Andrews is saying thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome, Barry. Barry Andrews <laughs> is a handsome mf'er, but for which doesn't tally for me with the kind of dude who has just oh, been. Sorry, I've, sorry? I've seen his I've seen his filmography. But please carry on. <laughs> oh, put a pin in it because I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> But that doesn't tally to me, or for me, with a a character who has been Ben Gunning on some planet inside a crystal for possibly years. Like, I mean, we don't know how long he's been in there. No, true, actually. I'm not quite sure if we get a real feel for time between the the rich... Because there's some kind of expedition where there were 10 of them. I think Triss says he had a crew of 10 or expedition team of 10. Holy shiser. So, like, they were all killed by the mandrels? No, I think think they say one person died. Like, maybe that was, like, the end. I don't know. The dialogue is really weird about this because I feel like it's trying to say, yeah, this is the end of that expedition still. Like, him and Della being on the cruise liner is them carrying that on. But then, yeah, where did the other seven go if only one guy died? Yeah. Oh, wait, hang on. Why does he get a cabin and everyone else has to sit in the plane? Yeah, I don't know. That's how them drugs pay. <laughs> <laughs> That's them Heisenberg dollars. <laughs> yeah. I really like him though. As a character, I thought he was I thought he was awesome. Uh, partly because he was just plain cool. Like he was lasering shit all over the place. He lives in a jungle inside a crystal. Uh, he's got scars on his face. That's pretty badass. 
but he's he's so unaffected by his own fate that I that the character loses credence. That's the problem. It's as uh, though he was I, attacked like yesterday. Sorry, go yeah. On. I don't know. I, I just didn't really register him as much of a character to be honest. He he to me just felt like a piece of the plot. Um, I think because he comes in quite late to the game, and we've only had Della even really talking about him, and she's been cagey as fuck. <laughs> Yeah, um, like which I found I don't I don't know. It seems seems like there's something taboo about their relationship, I guess. Because that's the other thing is like um, listing reasons why Stott should be running out of Eden and just doing anything but go back there. How about going and saying hello to Della? Uh, yeah, thank you very much. I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Clearly, romance is dead in the future. This is <laughs> so. This is a dude who lied to Dell about his own identity. He claimed to be another, just like regular crew member, but actually he's a secret agent. Then he lets her believe that her loved one was tragically mauled by a monster. <laughs> yeah, and he would prefer to live on his own inside the wreckage of a ship slash luxury mansion inside a crystal. <laughs> <laughs> indefinitely. Apparently that's the uh, the dice he has rolled. Yeah. <laughs> do those two get some sort of arc towards the end? I mean, like, do they do they get back together again? I think they are reintroduced, aren't they? But I don't remember there being like a big big moment. Yeah. No, actually, I can, I can tell you if they even actually see each other again. <laughs> I don't remember either. I'm kind of inclined to say they don't. They certainly, like, there's no romantic reunion. There's neither a hug and kiss and, oh, I thought you were dead. No, I'm fine. Oh, you have a scar. That's kind of hot. Do you want to find a cabin? There's not that, and there's also not the Django Unchained. She faints when she sees that she he's still alive. Spoilers for Django Unchained. No, we don't get any of that. It's all just fluff. Maybe he just didn't care either. Maybe he um, was just undercover and lied about it, faked it all. Yeah, he's, he's, he's got a lady in every mission. <laughs> exactly. He's eyeing up this crystal tech. He's like, oh, this could help me juggle all those women. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. On his dial, instead of saying, like, Eden and uh, Phlegm and Blob and whatever the other ones were called, it's just like, Lisa, Della, <laughs> Laura, <laughs> Susan. <laughs> so, Barry Andrews, I can say that a bit more clearly. Uh-huh. Barry Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked it when you said, Barry Andrews. <laughs> Um, so he's best known for horror films, apparently, including really? Dracula Has Risen from the Grave oh. and The Blood on Satan's Claw. Um, but what made me tizzle like a young child is that he's in a film called Rent-A-Dick. Rent-A-Dick. <laughs> is, that a, is that a hard-boiled detective story or is that gay porn? I'll watch it either way. <laughs> Sadly, neither. It, it is a, a comedy spoof of detective stuff. So it's it's obviously a play on Dick being detective. But yeah. <laughs> I'm adding that to my Netflix queue. <laughs> For a minute, though, I, I really thought that was just going to be some dodgy porn thing you'd done. <laughs> Yeah, not to be confused with the 17 hits uh, on Pornhub when you search for Rent-A-Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Since we're talking about actors, did you recognize Captain Rig? Mm, not massively. Because Captain Rig... <laughs> okay, all right. 
This is not the first time that Captain Rig has appeared in Doctor Who. Well, Captain Rig, yes, but the, the actor, David Dacre, not the first time he's appeared on Doctor Who, but he did appear the last time, the first time that you appeared as an official co-host as, I think that was the first one, Iron Gron. No way. Yeah. Well, that was your first one, right? Yeah, Time Warrior. Time Warrior, exactly. David Dacre, Captain Rig, Iron Gron. Wow. This dude has a range. I'm going to have to find an image of Iron Gron. Oh, yeah, do it. I haven't done this, actually. No way. I would never have said that was the same actor. Really? I'm going to look him up right now as well. David well Dacre, played. Sorry? Dacre. Well played, David Dacre. You were uh, versatile as an actor. Yeah. There he is. David Dacre. Holy smokes. What a total dude, bro. I just looked him up on... Uh, just on... What is this? What is this? Yahoo? No. Who, who uses Yahoo? <laughs> <laughs> That's redonkulous. I also, by the way, had absolutely no idea. I I only realized this when I looked up the actor. And I think this is the only Doctor Who connection that we get in this episode. Yeah. I find it interesting when they do this, actually. And I wonder how much of it they do kind of look at the previous role and is like, yeah, we can pass you off as a different character because yeah. you look nothing <laughs> like that. Like you, the makeup department did wonders back then, and we're just going to show you as you. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> His character also a real dick, by the way. There's one scene in particular that springs to mind. It's the, oh, Romana fainted and is still under the weather. That glass of ginger beer is for her, is it? Yeah, I'll just have that. (laughs) Oh, wait. Yeah, I want to talk about this as well. All right, let's hear it. Who the fuck is lacing that water with Raxion? It's got to be either Trist or Yankee Doodle. Why are they lacing it with Raxion? And how? Like, this looks like basically... uh, Star Trek. What's what's the generator? Thing, you know, matter generator uh, thing. Yeah. Oh, I, I had the exact same association when I watched the scene. Am I gonna have to Google this? I'm gonna have to. All right. Here we go. Yahoo! Don't fail me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, wait, wait. Before I've even looked it up, it's the replicator. The replicator. Oh. Yeah. Yes, of, let the record show I did not get as f- I, I got as far as writing Star Trek and then F for food, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested what your autocomplete might have done there. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> for details, see my DVD collection. Yeah, so I, yeah, I don't really understand why someone wanted to lace Romana's at this point. But so it seems to be kind of a closed off thing where like even if it's not replicated tech, it, even if it's just a, a drinks dispenser, yeah. they somehow reach through from the other side. It just looks super weird. It's like this, this arm <laughs> somehow so right. just, kind of just like comes in and is like, no. <laughs> why? Just like straight what? up roofies the glass. <laughs> But, and there are two people stood there as well, and it's like who are both oblivious to it. Yeah. Um. It's like, oh, this is super risky. I don't understand what your your aim is. Just try a different tack. Come on. <laughs> wait, wait. Excuse me. Why try a different tack? This was highly successful. Clearly, this works. Well, Why is there a panel that like? Is this person just like hiding inside like a drinks dispenser this whole day? It's like waiting <laughs> for someone to order a glass of ginger beer. Just try not to get yeah how gross is that by the way oh i'm gonna pour some of this dead mandrel into this glass of ginger beer <laughs> it's really gross 
I thought that scene was gonna have a different outcome. I assumed that the outcome of this was going to be, oh, now Della is going to be accused of being the murderer, or the, you uh. know, the criminal, because she's the one who fetched the glass. Yeah. But again, yeah, it's like a detail that was just nonsense. Yeah. Like, it leaves a rig being basically written out, and like, he, he has a scene with Romana later, which is basically just a... Oh, give me more smack. Slowing. Give me more smack. <laughs> it's just a plot-slowing scene. It's like, uh, oh no, there's tension here, because Romana might not be able to get to the big button. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that scene, yes. <laughs> yeah. But that seems to be the, the, the real reason for making him a drug addict, is so that he can participate in that, to make that slightly tense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a bit of comic relief. It's basically the only other thing he achieves, is just being spaced out and not giving a shit about anything. Hope he's okay. Well, I, I don't want him to OD, and I don't want him to be executed, which is what the customs officers want to do. Yeah. No, I, I agree with the... <laughs> just like, hmm, this refreshing beverage, I think I'll quench, quench my thirst. <laughs> But I think for the most part, he's trying to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with you. Since you mentioned comic relief, there are a few scenes in this serial that are highly comedic. I mean, there's one Hanna-Barbera-esque scene with the Doctor when he rushes into the, whatever, the you know, the Gallifreyan painting. He runs into the jungle, and then he pops off screen, and there are the screams, and oh, yeah. tumbleweeds are being thrown into frame. <laughs> And then he comes up with his coat is completely destroyed and his poor scarf is even further damaged. So we have that. We, we like th There are a few kind of fun scenes in this. We get... Oh, I missed that. Yeah. Sorry, what were you going to say? hated the dot getting attacked off screen thing. Because we've seen, well, what are these creatures? Are they really strong? Are they really powerful? Like, sometimes they're getting shot once by canine and they fall down. So getting shot five times by canine and they're still wobbling. Um, and just like one claw on the face and they're down stops walking around after a massive claw to his face and then yeah doc is off screen screaming like that's a really well, good point screaming that he's being attacked he's being mauled by these creatures and then yeah he just walks out and yeah his clothes have been ripped yeah that's a really good point i hadn't considered that actually yeah that's true it kind of belittles the threat of the mandrels and it certainly belittles the rampant civilian death in this serial yeah amongst the crew when the mandrels are attacking. So people are dying left, right, and center. And then I forget what the, the trigger point is, but they basically get organized and they start herding them up like sheep and funneling them through corridors. Oh, yeah. And How did that work? Suddenly everything's under control. And it's like, what? No. Like, they were all just getting mauled to death three seconds ago. Yeah. Also mega true. I, mean, I, I kind of like that the doctor had his whistle and that worked on them. That somehow sort of sedated them and calmed into the jungle. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but the gods don't have a whistle. No. Like, the, the two things in it's favor, I think, were that they they had a moment where, like, their guns ran out and I think K-9 stepped in, or then Doc steps in with his whistle. Um, but I also liked, with the whistle, there was lovely minor detail that Doc has to take a big breath and then they come out of their spell briefly and start about to kind of round and yes. attack everyone. And then he starts blowing again and they're like, oh... <laughs> 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 I'll lump it this way then, okay. Yeah, I, I, it, same page club. Really enjoyed those bits. <laughs> we haven't talked about uh, Romana. Or no, true. How do you feel about them? I don't like reminders of bits of plot, but I, I, I think I enjoyed her throughout this story. Yeah, yes and no. Like, she gets she gets a lot of screen time, I think. She gets to do a lot of stuff, but it's not necessarily the most important stuff. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's probably... Um, and K9, mm, I feel like a bit of personality was possibly lost and he turns into a bit more of a tool in this serial. Oh, interesting. Voice... I thought Kanan was brilliant in this. Uh, okay. The voice didn't bug me as much as it did uh, last week. Uh, it did in the beginning for me, but then after a while I just got John Leeson, like, I'm over you. <laughs> <laughs>
This is how long it takes. One and a half zeros. <laughs> <laughs> There's one scene with K9 that I really enjoyed, and that's when he's asked to go through the, you know, the dimensional shimmer or whatever it's called. And yeah. he he goes up to it, and then it, he just pauses almost to ready himself before moving in into the shimmer. And I really oh, like yeah. that as a detail. It's just like, oh, is something inside K9 preparing, like something, you know, technological going on there? Or is this literally K9 going... Oof! This is this is going to be a tough one. I should just take a breather before I head in. Loved it. You know what? I think I didn't suspend my disbelief at this point because <laughs> I I think I forget what happened in the scene before, but I think there was dialogue where like the doc was getting K nine to repeat something about the and and it's like it's okay, it's it's this or whatever, and like basically basically giving him a pep talk. Um, and I I expected at that pause point K nine to say to himself like it's just it's just a double shift, it'll be fine, or you know something, something weird like. Um, and what you get is just the whirring of his motors <laughs> and I, I think i just jumped out of it and it was like i could almost hear the crew behind going shit the remote control stopped working <laughs> <laughs> or um oh it's gonna be okay now send him forward <laughs> <laughs> all right fine agree to disagree <laughs> <laughs> what I did like with K9 though was where I think Della's been shot and Romana's K9 goes around the corner but then like almost immediately comes back and like says uh, I need to keep my primary mission which is to defend the mistress like oh yes he's going a bit gung-ho as a, well not gung-ho but like needs to neutralize the threat sort of thing but then and as the threat is retreating he's like no come back to defend mode and look after mistress I like that yeah me too Random final checkboxes on my list. We get yet another carnivorous plant. Oh, yes, we do. And a fantastic scene of the doctor biting it to death. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty violent. I mean, he just goes for it. He goes feral. He bites this thing to death. Do you think maybe the doc's just got a taste for wrapping his lips around organics alien cylinders at this point? (laughs) I'm surprised that you're not commenting more on the shape of the plant before the tendril. Oh yeah, no, it's it's clearly, it's a vagina with a dick attached to it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my note is from penis monster to fanny plant. (laughs) (laughs) Fanny plant. (laughs) Like, someone is working on Doctor Who who's having a bit of a laugh. Like, (laughs) very possibly. They're just seeing how far they can push stuff. Like, someone on the um, set crew, production crew, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) (laughs) So, oi, (laughs) you made made a dick monster last week, yeah? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) I see your dick monster. (laughs) I'll raise your fanny plant. Sorry, I don't know what that accent was. It's Glenn's accent. Oh, no, uh, okay. Glenn's accent. <laughs> Classic Glenn. But I mean, to be fair, if it weren't for the teeth, I mean, I would. <laughs> All right. This is a piece of trivia. This is my penultimate point. Piece of trivia. This episode call, or serial called Nightmare of Eden was originally called Nightmare of Evil, as opposed to all those good nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad they did Eden. I quite like Eden. Like it's it's obviously a very reused name. Sure. But when you're dealing with new new or rare life and very nature planety things. Yeah. yeah. I might call it Eden. Yeah, exactly. And it's like they they're looking through this little at Eden where they can watch life evolve. So sure, yeah. maybe that's where it all started, quote unquote, sci fi. I don't know if maybe the mandrels in that case are the apple. Is the Varaxin or Vraxoin or whatever it's called, is that the forbidden fruit? Maybe maybe there's a, a link there as well. I don't know. 
I, I don't know about that stuff, to be honest. But yeah, I agree with you. I think Nightmare of Eden is way better than Nightmare <laughs> Nightmare of Evil. Okay, final bullet point. Unless you have anything else, dude. My final bullet point is a question for you. And this is one of my introductory questions. This is the one pertaining to the very end. Can you please explain the closing joke to me? Do you mean Romana's yeah. line? Yeah, Romana's and canines. There's only one animal that would be comfortable in an electric zoo. Yeah, but, that, the, that yeah but the punchline is by Romana. I don't think we want to tell them, do we, K9? Negative, mistress. <laughs> Wait, so what are you leaving out then? Like, I mean, I'm assuming she's talking about humans, but I don't really understand why. Oh, really? Oh, really? I th- explain. Well, just it, just the context of it seems like that's, like, it's, like we, we don't want to tell them, like, we don't want to tell them uh, who that one animal is, because that one animal is them. Oh, that's so true, uh, isn't it? So what is this, subtle social criticism? Yeah. I, d- I don't... <laughs> But I didn't understand, uh, like, why they called it an electric zoo, to be honest. Like, they, they'd they never referred to any of this to do with electricity in the past. And then this phrase just pops up at the end. And then the calling it electric zoo makes you think, oh, is it because humans have become, like, super attached to technology? Which I don't know if you could say that in 1979. Maybe there's a hint of it, but, like, not compared to today's standards. No, certainly sure. not. Um, Half of yeah, the people so... listening to us right now are, like, on at least three apps at once. <laughs> they're, they're swiping left. Left and right whilst tweeting and playing Russell. And the TV's on in the background. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I didn't get it. Pretty <laughs> sick ending. On that note, shall we try to rate this? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey la 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 la. Ratings! Shazamatron, and welcome to the rating section of this podcast episode. Uh, <laughs> okay. Right, me first this time. Here's the thing. This episode is brilliant. (laughs) It is filled to the brim with genuinely wonderful sci-fi concepts. Many of them really high-concept story elements. We've got galactic tourism, future bureaucrats, alien monsters metamorphosing into space cocaine, and apparently the same matter can occupy the same space. All of that stuff lays down a really solid groundwork for a a thoroughly entertaining serial. Romana and K9, I I don't really know what to say about them. I'll... uh, we've already talked about them a little bit. Uh, they were fine. They they were fine, but they weren't really stand out. The Doctor, however, was wonderful as always. He at no point seemed like he was going through a tough serial or a tough production. That guy was really loving it. And who knows, maybe it was because he got to act against his buddy, uh, you know, Trist. There are, not just from Trist, from others as well, crazy amounts of overacting in this serial. (laughs) If I had to stand on stage and relay just how much overacting there was in this serial, by not some, but most of the actors, then I would need to wear the most flamboyant velvet jacket and relay the circumstances in the form of an aria. Some of these people react in redonkulous ways. And on a couple of occasions, I admit it kind of took me out of it a little bit. But once I accepted that this was just the general theme and the general ambience of the serial, I embraced it and I loved it. I suspect that some of the ancillary characters are not going to be to everyone's liking, but I thoroughly enjoyed their hamminess. I mean, we have Professor Sunglasses, Yankee Doodle, Iron Gron, English David Hasselhoff. They all put in wonderful, marvellous, over-the-top performances. 
and I would welcome them back. Just maybe not every week, yeah? Uh, production <laughs> values are excellent. Special effects are not always, but often spot on. The mandrels look wonderful. They, they look absolutely brilliant. I want one of those outfits. In fact, you know what? I want two of them. One for me and one for when a lucky lady comes to visit. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll leave the details of that for another <laughs> podcast. Um <laughs> But they looked really cool. They had glowing green eyes, by the way. I, I really liked that that part of it. Very cool stuff. It's really interesting about this serial, on top of all of this stuff, and we haven't really discussed it, but is the social commentary. This serial could be renamed Bureaucrats versus Hippies. And interestingly, both parties are portrayed as parodies in their own right. The, the hippies are just straight up laid back Neil from the young ones and the, as in, the, you know, the drug addicts, the, the drugged ones. And the bureaucrats are comically ineffectual. And it works. It's, it's criticism, not just of, I, I guess, drug culture that maybe is very prevalent and maybe as in, in the public consciousness at the time. But it's also sticking it to the man at the same time. Uh, I wrote down a rating for this serial before we started recording. I have not budged an inch. Ooh, okay. I am sticking to this 4.2. Ooh, nice. I'm not quite sure if I was expecting it quite that high. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think this would be a good one to introduce people to. Ooh, oh, that's an interesting idea. Damn it, we should have talked about that. Mm. <laughs> the next time we come around all of Classic Who, let's do it then. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'll note that down in the book that will still be around. No, but do definitely bear this in mind. I think we should do a bonus episode about... I mean, we've been saying this for, I think, literally years now, but like we should do a bonus episode about which serials do we all feel we could introduce someone to Doctor Who with. I think this is on the list. Could well be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who knows? All right, go for okay. it. That, that was awesome stuff. Um, might let me rethink some stuff, but we will see. I'm just going to talk and we'll see where we get to. Okay. So I think I pretty much echo your your overriding thought that this is a good and I think at its heart fun, uh, not episode, serial. I think the main issue I have with it is that, yeah, you, you have to accept the hamminess and I'm quite happy to have to accept that hamminess as much as you were, Leon. I totally agree as well that I don't want it all the time. This, like, a uh, me Doctor Who episode, I'm never going to give a 5 out of 5 for. That's just who I am. Fair enough. Uh, but doesn't mean I don't enjoy them. And yeah, I, just, I don't want them all the time. But this one had a lot of that about it. And I was enjoying being along for the ride and just putting a lot of things to the wayside and just going, yeah, that that's a stupid line that that character's just given. Oh, this zoologist has an insane accent. Okay, I'm going with it. <laughs> I don't know why he's wearing sunglasses all the time. I don't care. I'm going with it. Right, whatever. I think what bothers me more about these kind of things is that overall, there are some weird things that are left in the script and then they even obviously then direct and act and do sets for and all this kind of stuff, which just felt like they just had no real reason to still be there. It's like an edit gone bad or a lack of edit. I'm not quite sure, but it was a bit of a shame, especially when it's a serial that has the plague of a minute of the previous episode. Like there's, there's obviously some padding going on in this true yeah and yeah may maybe they're just they're struggling to always write scripts that fit over for four episodes i'm not quite sure but even pushing that aside it's like even if they can't ever make it less than four episodes they still could have rewritten some stuff trimmed some stuff i'm sure and it would have been tidier and i wouldn't have complained as much but on, on the fun aspect there were some nice lines which i i didn't single out when we were talking earlier but doc has a reference before he jumps into the nightmare of eden capsule thing and gets mauled off screen 
where he says, I'm going inside now. I may be a long time, which I'm pretty sure is a reference to Captain Oates, I think it is, the explorer who says to basically save rations, he's going to sacrifice himself. He says, I'm going outside now. I may be a long time. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. Uh, it seems very, very much on the nose, so I'm assuming that's what they were going for. But uh, we've had this before, I think, in, in Doc 2. I think the Doctor has said something very much like this, and it sounded like a sacrifice. And he's like, well, in the context of this, I didn't for a second think the Doctor was a sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a Pied Piper moment. Like, it was weird. Um, we do get random things, funny lines, like the customs officer saying, uh, what's that? And Dimon going, it's a door. <laughs> <laughs> or Doc having, I, I didn't actually write down the dialogue, but just the the, the lovely eccentricity of, like, confounding the customs officers to the point where he describes his date of birth as sometime quite soon. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, there there are some wonderful tidbits in this. There's some good performances. The set design is really good. I, I mostly thought so anyway. I think the model work worked pretty well. I, I agree with the, the criticism of some of the visual effects. But I like the computer screen stuff. It's bonkers what they decided to use it for. <laughs> But I like having a moment of the being like a computer screen and showing some information on it. I think that's quite cool. And I think as a child in 1979, I would have been, my little brain would have been exploding seeing stuff like that. So mm. I'm, I'm glad that they put that kind of thing in. Overall, things are great. But I think I can I can sum up maybe why this is never going to be that higher ranking for me by the fact that in this serial exists a literal escaping by the, oh, what's that behind you trick? <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, you have to do that super, super, super well for me to like that. And that was just kind of okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so we're always going to be in the middle ground. It's fun. It's quirky. I don't know if there was some serious production issues that caused um, it to be quite inconsistent as it seems to be. But I enjoyed it. It's just not great. I'm going to stick with what I wrote down. You haven't quite convinced me to go any higher. I'm leaving it at 3.5. 3.5. Oh, wow. Okay. For a moment there, I thought you were going to go two point something. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, uh, sweet relief. <laughs> I'm glad. I mean, we're mostly on the same page. Yeah, ballpark at least. Same yeah. book. In book club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> same book club. <laughs> uh, no, I got same chapter. Same chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we see what uh, Podcast Land thinks of this? Yeah, let's do that. This is now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max to fifty, or it would get out of hand. Right, Rooney and Cheesecakes, we have arrived at the listener mini section of this podcast episode, and we've uh, we've got a few. Uh, first out of the gate, we've got Chris Tapps Paddock. Hello, Chris Tapps. Hello there, Chris Tapps. Chris Tapps starts. Solid fun, but not all that brilliant. I love this for the late 70s eye candy aspect of it, and wish I could live in whatever disco future they envisioned. This story is mostly notable for being the only classic who story I know of that revolves around drug smuggling by way of the inventively named Vraxoin. They may as well have called it Space Dope. Oh yeah. <laughs> it also features the bell-bottom mandrels. They do have bell-bottoms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> Who don't scare so much as stomp and annoy. I do think the Doctor and Mana have good chemistry in this story and we see Tom Baker moving into his second golden era. This one's slicker, more modern and more adult than the first. But still, it's played by being slightly crap. <laughs> oh, oof. Rough. And Chris Dabbs gives this 3.7 out of 5. Nice. That's still a solid rating. Uh, solid mini, as always. Thank you very much, Chris Tabs. Great stuff. Thank you so much, Chris Tabs. Second golden era, eh? Hey, yeah. Oh, sweet Christmas. Yeah, yeah, bring it on. <laughs> 
Thank you very much, Chris Dobbs. Who have we got next, Jim? Why, we've got Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? Hello, Andy. And he has, once again, supplied us with a lovely maxi that will appear on the website. And a little mini for us to read out right now. And that's what we're going to do. Thank you very much, Andy. Uh, so Andy starts. Apparently, this story is not the most popular amongst fans or cast and crew alike. However, I'm going to set my stall out early and say, I freaking love it. Yes, here's my friend who agrees with me. <laughs> it's in my top ten of favourite episodes. Wow. That's going far. <laughs> <laughs> the Doctor and Romana 2 are on fine form, and again, they have some brilliant scenes and dialogue together. And Tom gets some brilliant one-liners in. The line at the very end where he tells Triss to go away is absolutely damning and is totally the Doctor. Romana also gets to go off solo quite a bit, and she gets to show off her knowledge. While we are talking about Romana, what on earth is Romana wearing? Was the budget so tight that they had to put her in an old tablecloth? <laughs> <laughs> This is the least glamorous Romana ever looks in her whole run on the show. No, this is playing into your hippie theory, actually. Oh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he continues, though. It's a good story written by Bob Baker around the evils of drugs and smuggling. There are some wonderful models, especially the Empress and... Ooh, this is Dimonship. Yeah. Hecate? 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 Hesate? I, I, d- no I never registered the name, to be honest. No, okay. A name, beginning with H. <laughs> but sadly, the actual special effects somewhat spoil this and don't quite work. And here we must finally address the elephant, or rather the mandrel, in the room. (laughs) Huge, cuddly disco yetis with flares. Oh my god, they are terrible. (laughs) They are like rejects from the Muppets. And I take slight issue with this, because anything rejected from the Muppets can't be that bad. Like, if it's just a step below Muppet, it's still good. That's pretty good, yeah. And Andy concludes, despite the many issues with the actual production values, the story more than makes up for it, and I'll happily watch it again and again. I award this story 4.1 economy class passengers out of 5. <laughs> Ciao for now. <laughs> Thank you very nice. much, Andy. That is some good, solid stuff. I, and seriously, please, Podcast Land, check out his Maxi review on the website. It is... It's Maxi. I mean, we're talking Maxi. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> And when you've checked it out, in fact, before and after, please high-five Andy on Twitter. He can be found at what, Jim? Caffrey's 71. That's Caffrey's 71. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Andy. 71. Who we got next? Next up, we've got Joe Ford. What up, Joe? What up, Joe? Doco Ho. Doco Ho himself, yes. <laughs> Joe starts. Wildly imaginative and intelligent, but also cheap looking and farcical. The Nightmare of Eden will conflict its audience depending on what you're looking for from Doctor Who. I love it. Bob Baker's only solo script for the series is a belter. Loaded with great ideas, funny lines, and held together with a very strong message. The drug dealing angle gives the comedy some gravity, and the performances, while some sometimes veering over the top, keep the energy levels high. Ward and Baker are at the top of their game, especially the latter, who aside from one moment of pantomime, is giving a commendably serious performance that drives home the drama of the message. Any story that can juggle spongy predators, computerized zoos, miniature landscapes you can step into, ships making love... inebriated authority figures, slapstick bureaucrats, and a love story gets my vote. Of all of Classic Who, this is one of the most entertaining examples. And Joe gives this, what, Jim? 4.0 out of 5. Nice! Oh, sweet, sweet (laughs) (laughs) 4-point-somethings. 
Excellent, Minnie. Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, people who are not Joe, please, if you haven't uh, already, do the following. Check out at DocOho on Twitter. Check out DocOho Reviews. And subscribe to Joe's podcast at Nimon Podcast or Nimon Podcast. We haven't got as far as... <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't yet know uh, how to pronounce that. Uh, Joe, apologies. That kind of outs me as not having listened to it yet. I I truly apologize for this, but I give you my word as a gentleman. I am looking forward to listening to it like crazy bananas. And as soon as I have, I will ping you. Uh, Joe, thank you very much for sending this in. Thank you, Joe. Awesome stuff. Ooh, who have we got next? Why, it's... it's the one and only Peter Zunich. Peter Zunich! Hello, Peter. The Zunmeister. Hello, Peter. <laughs> Peter starts. This isn't the most amazing story, but it's a great representation of what the show can be. If you don't like it, I'm not going to convince you otherwise, but you'll likewise never convince me it's a failure. I give it extra points because it hits many of the marks I love about the show as a whole. Hey, this is what I said. It's a mostly serious, semi-hardcore sci-fi romp through an exotic location exploring complex themes with good characters and a positive outlook. It's a base under siege, but then again, it's not. Mm-mm. I know the mandrels are an unconvincing budget monster, but I actually like them. I want, I want the plushie. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> What fails them is the sometimes goofy betrayal by the actors within them, but that's more on the director's shoulders, and he did good elsewhere, so that's what they gave him. K9 is great this week, but the Doctor is rather dismissive of Romana here, something I never noticed during my many previous viewings. I love how the Doctor mentions a scientist we've never met, yet he fails to mention the Carnival of Monsters machine, yes, exactly, which is almost the same concept. Honestly, is making it a requirement that all writers watch every previous episode too much to ask for? This is one thing I can praise New Who for. At least many modern writers know the old show. Could this tech be similar to Gallifreyan art? Oh my god, here's our friend that agrees with us. (laughs) (laughs) Peter, get out of my brain! (laughs) (laughs) And Peter concludes, it's not phenomenal, but it's solid, and much of why I like Who. Fall forward, then reverse, then apathy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure if this is related to that statement or just to the, the rating which follows after it, which is 3.8. <laughs> Peter, I hope you haven't been <laughs> snorting dead mandrels. <laughs> but that is a solid mini and a solid rating. Thank you very much for sending that in. Thank you, Peter. All right, next up, we have Paul Warren. Hey there, Paul. Hello, Paul. Paul starts, remember kids, don't do drugs. That seems to be the overwhelming takeaway. (laughs) Jim is pointing at me judgmentally. Uh, (laughs) That seems to be the overwhelming takeaway message from Nightmare of Eden. And Doctor Who operates on a minuscule budget, but I think we were aware of this. Yeah. Peter continues, the mandrels are cute and adorable rather than terrifying. I'd be more likely to scratch them behind the ears than run away screaming. (laughs) Oh, it was a cute little mandrel. The mechanism for smuggling Raxoin is ingenious, though. Not only is it hidden inside the CET machine, but presumably it won't show up on scanners until the mandrels are killed. Hmm. True. The excise officers are clearly intended as the comic relief, as they are far too inept to actually catch smugglers. There are occasional great lines, of which I think my favourite is, they're only economy class, (laughs) when the mandrels start attacking passengers. I've missed that one, actually. Um, (laughs) The doctor's response to being told that his employer 
went out of business years ago. I wonder why it hadn't been paid, <laughs> is another one. The major downside to this story for me, says Paul, is that I think Tom Baker gets a bit silly at times, particularly when he gets into a fight with a plant, and also when he is chased by mandrels inside the CET machine at the end of the story. To be fair, I don't feel like that's Tom Baker's fault. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> so, true. The <yeah>. writing... <laughs> And Paul concludes, overall, this is another story which has a good plot, but is let down by special effects and over-the-top acting. Oh, certainly the latter. And Paul gives this three out of five. Nice. Yeah, you know what? Fair enough. I'm really enjoying how many of these minis and our own minis are touching on the same points. Like, for example, the mandrels or the overacting. But maybe highlighting them slightly differently. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. I love it. And I think mostly in the same ballpark with these things. Yeah. yeah, also. Yeah, definitely. People who are not Paul Waring, please, if you aren't already. Okay, like, worst case scenario, you are not currently on Twitter. I get it. Social media can be daunting. Here's what you need to do. Register with Twitter for one single reason. Follow Paul online. He can be found at P. Waring. That's P. Waring. <laughs> That gets you 100 more followers, Paul. We want to know. <laughs> <laughs> and that just leaves us with one, I believe, in the name of Michael Ridgeway. 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 <laughs> Hello, Michael. Hello there, Michael. So big. My goodness. <laughs> Michael starts with a series of likes. First being interesting science fiction concepts, including the merged ships and Trist's wacky machine, hmm. which has shades of Carnival of Monsters. That's right. Will these fools never learn? <laughs> and Vraxoan is the nasty sort of drug that appears in Philip K. Dick nightmares. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I just read some Philip K. Dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that brings true. Um, Man in the High Castle, by the way. Uh, next, like. A good supporting cast. Loved poor Briggs. Grumpy. I'm going to lose my contract. Dimond. And Looney Trist. Della is underdeveloped and Stott fluffed his lines, but no one was terrible. Next like, the Mandrels. First I wrote them off as a naff yeti wannabe, but they were pretty cool. They're vicious, hard to kill, and have freaky glowy eyes. Yes. The twist that they are the source of Raxoan is neat. One actually jump scared me in episode three. The scene where Mandrels pile out of the elevator and slaughter the passengers, whilst high as a kite rigs love <laughs> mentally. <laughs> After all, they are only economy passengers. Was great. <laughs> and final like, best line. What happened to Stott? He died. What happened to him? He died. That's not suspicious. No siree. <laughs> <laughs> that is another quote, actually. I forgot to, to grab. Um, or it reminded me of one, actually. Sorry. Tris talking about the previous professor that the doc has heard of. He says, like, oh, we worked on this idea together until he died. Of course, then we stopped. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> This is Heisenberg just Heisenberging all over the place. <laughs> okay, back to Michael's review. After the likes, of course, we get some boofs. Number one being, who named this hellhole Eden? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Was it supposed to be ironic? Or perhaps parts of the planet are actually quite pleasant with spa facilities and uh, Michelin star restaurants. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All the carnivorous plants you can eat. Next, boof. I'm Stott. The same Stott that went missing? No, Doctor, a different Stott, you total muppet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, first, the Mavalans, now the Mandrels. Is the Doctor's dog whistle a tad too powerful? Oh no, have we found a new Deus Ex Machina machine? Oh dear. Oh, possibly. Uh, by we, I mean Michael Ridgway. <laughs> I totally stole his credit there. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. Um, and final, Boof. Stott should have been more rugged, having been marooned for months. Yes, thank you very much. I wanted him sporting mandrel pelts, drinking urine. <laughs> urine recycle and eating poo pies. <laughs> <laughs> oh poo pies oh michael oh yeah we don't always get what we want michael <laughs> and in this case rightly so <laughs> michael leaves us with a summary highly entertaining never dull well acted with really? twists good fun <laughs> especially for such dark subject matter and a rating of 3.8 out of 5 very delayed and very grumpy passengers who thought that their trip couldn't get any worse until they were mauled to death by space bears <laughs> Yeah, that's tough. That is very tough. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you very much. Excellent. As freaking always, uh, people who are not Michael Ridgway, you know what to do. Plop on over to Twitter and follow Michael on Twitter. Well, where else would you follow him if you plop to Twitter? Follow him. He is at bad. Underscore. Movie. Underscore. Club. Yep, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Thanks very much. And that concludes the listener mini section of this episode, and thus, this Nightmare of Eden soiree. This has been fantastic, dude. Hell yeah. Eden, yeah. <laughs> Eden, yeah. <laughs> what have we got coming up next? Well, in New Who land. New Who. <laughs> uh, I believe we will be under the lake. Oh, yes. We shall be under the lake. Part one of a two-parter. Really looking forward to that. As I recall, it's pretty, pretty great, actually. Uh, after which, we're back in classic country with the horns of Naimon. Or Naimon. Or Naimon. Hey, or... you say Naimon and I say Naimon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, at some point, we will be doing an audio who review as well, namely of relative dimensions. And when it gets to bonus, the bonus borrow, <laughs> when we next do a bonus episode, uh, we'll let you know. We're playing bonus bingo. Bonus big, bonus big. That's the alliteration. I should. Oh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> In the meantime, though, you can say hello to us online. Jim, I believe you are present in the uh, ether. Yes, that's correct. I am floating around somewhere at Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the what now? No, definitely not Jimmy the what now. It's Jimmy the Who. That's right. Excellent branding. And I am still at Ponken. That only leaves for us to say thank you so much for listening to us. You have been a lovely audience. You continue to be a wonderful audience. Until the next time, please rock on. Be rad and excellent to each other. And cha-chao. Stay safe out there, everyone. Watch out for big, cuddly monsters that really have big claws. <laughs> Flares are bad. Drugs are good. No, other way around. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> See ya. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters 
monsters and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?